as we sang that song, what emotions went through your heart? What thoughts went through your mind? If you've been a Christian long enough, you've experienced the singing and the gradual loss of a voice of a generation. It happens gradually and slowly, but all of a sudden, you're not a teenager anymore. You're not a young married. Your kids are grown. You have an empty nest. You begin downsizing. And as you think about you going through those phases, the church goes through those phases as well. There's been a lot of time and attention and chicken littleism <laughs> about what's going to happen to the church. What's going to happen when this next generation comes up? Oh, I'm worried about the church. You see what's happening in the church? And the church is dying, some people say. And and I gently call you back to Scripture, to the promise of Jesus who said, My kingdom shall overcome the gates of hell. There's no nothing wrong with the church, and the church isn't going anywhere. Now, it's going to look different. The, the next generation is going to take, take a different directions. They're going, to, they're going to go into places that we haven't been before. But the church will always be here because Jesus is always on the throne. His church, His kingdom, is not going to pass away. That promise is true from Scripture. This morning, about three hours ago, we sent off a massive group of largely the next generation. This is my 22nd time to be in the parking lot in the morning of team camp. First 15 years of those, I was corralling and managing and trying to make sure we got everybody on the bus. Last seven of those, I've been watching as my child got on the bus. Next year, Lord willing, will be his last one as a camper. And as a, as a parent, it hits you differently than it does when you're a youth minister. As you watch your child get older and older and older, and you realize there's going to come a time when they get on the proverbial bus, and they leave the confines of your home and your rules and everything you've given them, and it will be up to them to decide whether they want to be faithful to the Lord, whether they want to be a part of his church, his body, whether they want to take the ancient words and live by them or not. I hope that we at Northside always have a group like this, always leaving, heading up the mountain, whether it's this week or some other week, but always heading up the mountain to be closer to God to get closer to one another, but even more than that, that we'll have a, a church back home, back here in the flatlands, back here in the hot and the humid, 
who is thinking of them and praying for them, whether or not you have a a teenager in that circle. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to uh, take your phones out. I'd like you to say a silent little prayer, and I'd like you to send our youth minister a message and let him know that you're with him, even though you're not with him. Let him know that you're praying for him and you're praying for the team of adults that are heading out there. Let him know you're praying for God's presence to be manifest during the week. Let him know that you love him and that you believe in him. You say, wow, that's several hundred text messages. Why would we do that to Jeff? Well, anybody who's on the youth group text list understands Jeff sends like 17 text messages a day, so, you know. It's fair play, I think, but um, in all seriousness, this is a spiritual battle. And guys like Jeff and, and other, others who are in the trenches trying to help raise up a next generation and partner with parents and other spiritually mature Christian adults to speak into the lives of this generation, they need our prayers, I know, I'm confident, I know that the enemy will work on Jeff because he's a high-value target from the enemy's perspective. He'll try to discourage him, dissuade him, give him troubles, hardships, make him want to give up and throw in the towel. That's just the nature of leadership. So please text Jeff and let him know that you love him and you're praying for this week. Uh, I know he's exhausted and he, you know, they're not even there yet, but uh, it's going to be a good week. And as we have about 20% of our regular audience gone, I wanted to take this opportunity and speak about one another that is really important. Speaking of spiritual battles, the psalm that we've already read a couple of times, but we did that with intention. I, I, I want this to be on your heart, and so I want you to open again to Psalm 145, and, and this time I hope you underline it. Highlight it. Write it down because this means so much, and it's one of the huge purposes of the church. Psalm 145, verses 3 and 4. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation, we've been talking about one another this whole year, not this whole year, but for the past several several months, and we've been thinking about how to work one another. Today, as we think about it, I want you to think one generation to another. It's pretty common, I think, in our world for there to be a generation gap. You know, there was a time in which there was a generation coming up that said, don't trust anyone over 30. And those people are all in their 60s and 70s now. They, that generation, or not everybody in that generation is painting too broadly, but, but there was a sentiment like you can't trust the older generations, and that's unwise. Oh, it continues today. You know, Gen Z has, has a saying, if a, if, a, if a person under 25 ever says to you, okay, boomer, that is not a, that's not a compliment. <laughs> that's saying, you're old, you're out of it. 
you don't understand. In the world, we see that. One generation contending with another generation. One generation blaming another generation. But here's the cool thing with God's people. God's people are to be a people where each generation, instead of breaking down each other, they build up each other. They encourage each other. Uh, we see this in scriptures like Titus chapter 2, where we, we have the older being encouraged to teach the younger. Older men teaching the younger women. Older women teaching the younger women. Older men teaching the young men. These are important attributes in the church. Let me make it personal. You may know the Lord, but let me ask you this. If you have children or grandchildren sitting on the pew with you, I want you to look on the pew next to you where they're sitting and ask the question, will they know the Lord? That's what we're talking about. That's what's on the line. And you think, well, my children are grown. It's, this sermon's not for me. On, oh, to the contrary. This is, is a responsibility that is laid upon each of us, whether we have children or not. Regardless of our age, we have a responsibility to share one generation to another about the goodness, the majesty, the glory, the power, and the love of God. But how do we do that? All right, well, let's get practical. Number one, let me offer this. I think it starts at the kitchen table. There is a, a verse in Judges chapter 2 at the beginning of a different Israel, an Israel that had changed and had drifted from God. They had had Moses, the mighty leader. They had his uh, uh, follower, Joshua, who had led them, and now, in Judges chapter 2, we read this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, or the work that he had done for Israel. You think, how could that happen? They had Moses and Joshua. They, they saw the Red Sea. They, they, they saw the, all of the miracles and, and, and heard the stories of coming out of Egypt. How could they not know? And the answer is very simple. They failed to practice Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is called by the Jewish people the Shema. Love the Lord your God. The, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But then it says in verse 6, These words that I command to you today shall be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up, the idea being that God was to be a part of every conversation. God was to be a part of the household discussion. God was to be a part of every aspect between parent and child. And that generation, a lot of times there was more than one generation. So it was, it was upon them 
to diligently teach their children. Children do not learn by osmosis. I'm going to repeat that. Children do not learn by osmosis. Just by taking them to class. And taking them to class is not a bad thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're getting it in here and in here. Coming to worship and bringing your children is not a bad thing. And them sitting in the youth group section is not a bad thing. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're getting it. They don't get it just by being around it. It must be, that conversation must be had again and again and again. Let me, let me give you a simple, there's a lot of examples. Let me see if I can give you one that will be helpful. We were, Levering Family was watching a TV show, and it was on Hulu. And, you know, on Hulu and the one we have, you get all the ads. And here comes the ad, and it's got two men kissing each other. And as a God-fearing, Christ-centered dad, what do you do in that moment? A few options come to mind. First is you can just simply ignore it. You can say, well, I know my kids know that's wrong, and I know that that's, they know the difference between right and wrong, and we've talked about that before, and we don't need to just, we'll just get past the commercial and keep on watching the show. That's one option. One option is just shut it off. We're not going to watch that. We just shut it down. Okay? That's one option. But maybe A commercial that's such an abomination to God, a behavior, a sin, as all sin is, it's, it's so abominable to him. Maybe, maybe in that moment, there's a pause. Maybe you could take a pause. Maybe you could, you could hit the remote and hit pause and say, hey, kids, can we talk about this? Do, do, do you know what God thinks about this? Is God okay with this? Maybe simple questions could help you understand where your children's heart is and what they know and, more importantly, what they don't. I just give you that example, and there's a million examples out there of conversation opportunities where we can teach right and wrong, where we can teach what God's will is, where we can open the scriptures to Romans chapter 1, and we can teach the next generation. We can do this with love, okay? We're not picking on any one sin. That's just one example. But there's all sorts of conversational opportunities to have with your grandkids, with your kids. And it starts, I just said, use the, you know, the term the kitchen table. It can be on your couch, it can be on your bed, it can be in the, you know, before you go to bed. It, it can be at any point, but in the rhythm of your family, there needs to be conversation about what does God think? What does God's word say? See, children don't learn that by osmosis. Listen, 
the world is preparing to have conversations with your children. There are people in levels of whatever that have an agenda for when your kids go back to school this August. Here's what we need to teach those kids. Here's what we need to jump, dump into their minds. We pull them all back from the parents. Here's what we need to teach them. I'm just saying, the world's ready to have a conversation with your kids. Are you? Are you taking that seriously? So start at the kitchen table. Keep the conversation going. And never stop having the conversation. Because that is where one generation learns from another generation. Let me ask some more positive examples. Do your kids know how you came to faith? Do your grandkids know that? Do they know the story of of how your life has been changed because of Jesus? Do, Do they know those things? Or do you just assume they know those things? Have the conversation. Start at the kitchen table. Second, continue with kingdom people. Jesus said in Luke 18, uh, I'm sorry, Luke wrote in Luke 18, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. You see, not everyone loves children and babies, but Jesus does. Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom belongs to such as these. The kingdom is a place for kids. It's a kid-friendly place. At Northside, and I know other churches as well, we love kids. It's why we pour into kids. It's why we support parents. It's why we do things like faith by phase. It's why we equip families. We want more kids here. One of my favorite parts of the week is Wednesday night. If you haven't been here on Wednesday night, you should come, especially during the summer. It's a hoot. We got people eating, you know, fellowshipping. We have class time. But easily for an hour, sometimes two, there will be people out at the playground. And kids are playing and, and just having a great time. And parents are connecting and fellowshipping. That's the way it should be in the kingdom. That's the, what Jesus wanted. He wanted little children You understand, you should, that the world is a dangerous place for babies and children. It is. The world hates children. There's a a new generation saying, you know what? It's just so much of a burden to have children. I don't even want to have children. It's the opposite of what God called his people to do, to go forth, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. And so... Kids are a blessing, and so we want kids to be in the kingdom. We want kids to be a part of the kingdom. So let me ask you this. If you've got kids or grandkids, are they connecting with kingdom people? Are they going to Bible class? Do they have a prayer pal? Do they pray for their prayer pal? They come to worship. They go to camps. They take part in service projects. Uh, How are they connecting with other kingdom people. Again, kids don't learn faith by osmosis. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have conversations at home. There shouldn't be teaching. But we need to supplement that with 
bringing them and making them a part of the kingdom. That's a good thing. And it's really important, and here's why. Peter wrote this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When you watch an animal, a leopard or a lion, hunting their prey, and they're, they're spotting the herd, who are they looking for? The weak? The straying? The sick? But always the young. If, if, if they can get the young who aren't as well-developed and who aren't as strong, uh, they have a better chance of having dinner. From a spiritual perspective, I think it's the same way. He looks for the weak and the sick. And of all things, he looks for the young. The enemy is looking... No, he's, he's hunting for your children. He wants to kill them before they enter the world. He wants to steal them away from you while they're in the world. He'd like to destroy them spiritually and keep them from seeing the world to come. The enemy's on the hunt. So when you get a pack of zebras and they know they're being hunted and they can, they can see the lion hunting, what do they do? They circle up. They circle around the young. They protect them because they're strength in numbers. One of our cross-generational strategies at Northside is to have more than one voice in the life of teenagers specifically. That is that Jeff has impact and influence and, and the parents have impact and influence, but we want other people besides Jeff and Toby to speak into the life of Tyler. And so, when my son is struggling or working through something or needing prayers, he's got Jim and Luke and Gary and Tony. He's got other voices in his head and in his heart. And instinctively, he'll always know that the church wasn't just a place for him when he was five, But the church is a place for him when he's 25. To be a part of that, to be not just a part, but leading and growing and maturing in the Lord. So what can we do? I'll give you four quick things. Number one, be intentional with your kids. Train them up. Pray for them. Have a conversation with them about right and wrong, good and evil. Open the word. doesn't have to be an intensive, comprehensive Bible study, but as parents, one of the great things you can do is the example I remember from years ago, Clayton McCullough, when he had teenage daughters, and they were having a, not a fight, but they were having um, intense fellowship, shall we say. And Clayton, instead of just blowing a stop and saying, I'm the dad, I say what goes, here's what's going to happen. He said, you know what, hold on. Let's open the Word and see what the Word says. 
He was being intentional with his daughters. We, we could all learn from that. It's really important. Number two, bind the word on their hearts and on yours. Um, I know it's July. <laughs> we still have our, fa- our Bible reading plans. You can pick one up at the information kiosk if you don't have one. There's a simple thing you can do as you have breakfast or dinner as a family to turn off the TV, put the iPad away, and have a conversation. Maybe just read from Psalms or Proverbs or from the Gospels. Those are important moments. They lead to conversations. There's lots of good ways to do that. When you leave today, if your children are with you, as you leave, you can say, what, what did you learn today in Bible class? What did you hear Mr. Toby say in the sermon? Simple things, but you have to be intentional and you have to work to get the word in their hearts. Number three, bring God into everything. Bring God into everything. Whether it's your three-year-old as you're walking through the neighborhood and they stop to look at a pile of ants building something, you can take a conversation about ants and point to a creator. You can talk about commercials. You can talk about beautiful sunsets. There's not almost any conversation where you can't bring God and God's will into it. That's so important to do, to bring God into every conversation. And if we don't do it, we risk losing the next generation. Finally, build up the next generation. Um, I'm curious, do you ever interact with this group? Do you say, well, that's the youth group. My time there is done. (laughs) Do you look for opportunities to pray with them or just come up and have a conversation with them? It's important to do. Um, So may we build them up. May we encourage them. You you have a couple of really cool opportunities that are coming up very soon. Um, The first is one we've already mentioned. August the 7th, every Northside member, every student, child, kindergarten through 12th grade is assigned a prayer pal. You could send an email right now and say, I'll be a prayer pal. I will build up the next generation. I want to do it. Uh, that's, a, that's an easy and important way to do it. And, and let me say one more thing. I'll encourage you to be a boring prayer pal. Sometimes I hear people hesitant to be a prayer pal because they say, well, I, I can't make all their plays, and I can't go all to, to their sporting events. I'm, I'm, I'm just unable to do that. And my reply is, that's okay. <laughs> we didn't ask you to be an involvement pal. We asked you to be a prayer pal. Now, if for those of you who do that, that's wonderful. That's icing on top. But there's, uh, we, need, we need people who are willing to go to battle for the next generation to, to wage spiritual warfare by praying for these kids individually. And that's something that everyone can do. If you're watching online and you say, well, I can't even get to worship, you can be a prayer pal. You could send an email and say, I'll be a prayer pal. There's opportunities for everyone to get involved. So I'll encourage you to do that. The second one is, in 11 days, on August the 10th, We're going to be starting intergenerational classes at Northside. 
So instead of going to the normal life stage Bible class where you kind of have, you know, go to learn about Luke with people at your own age group, we're going to be mixing up. We're going to do a little fruit basket turnover there and mix all the generations together. That's intentional. Gosh, won't that be uncomfortable? Probably. Well, what am I going to say? I won't be near my friends. That's okay. We, we want, we need 17-year-olds to hear from 57-year-olds. We, we want 42-year-olds to be able to speak to 25-year-olds, to have a conversation. So I'll encourage you, especially if you haven't been coming to Bible class, to start, make a plan to, um, and, and to, to take part in the intergenerational classes. Did I get that right? August 10th is when... 14th, okay, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm August 14th, two weeks away. So, that's a great opportunity, and it's a wonderful opportunity, and yes, it's uncomfortable, but that's where all the good stuff happens. Okay, there's four things for you, and two simple principles, hopefully, that will be useful to you as you bring up the next generation. As we attempt, you have to follow me here, as we attempt to make sure that what is right here, this empty four or five rows, doesn't happen in the church. This is just one Sunday. We're good with that. We want to bless them. But what we want to make sure is that we're intentional about reaching this generation going forward. And so to do that, we have to be intentional, and we have to follow God's desire, which is to reach the next generation, to keep telling the story of what he is doing in our lives and what he will do in theirs. This morning, if you have a spiritual need, if you'd like to put on Christ in baptism or you need the prayers of our shepherds of this congregation, we would be honored to help you with that in whatever way we might be of service to you. Uh, As we uh, prepare to sing this song, if you have a a public need or even a private need, uh, you can head to the back during this song. Our shepherds will be stationed at each door, and you can let them know what your need is this morning. Uh, Whatever need you might have, whatever it might be and wherever you are, you can respond at this time as together we stand and sing.